The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with Ellie Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. As our listeners should be very aware of by now, there is an insidious market that has long gone unnoticed and unchallenged in South Africa of the breeding and farming of lions, bred for trophy hunters and a multitude of spin-off industries that wouldn't exist without the breeder industry. Despite efforts by many to shut this industry down, the 17th Convention of CITES did an about-face. They did not list the lions to Appendix 1, and further, they actually approved this business model of breeding lions for sale and with very few restrictions. Lions can be bred in captivity, can be hunted, and further, their body parts can be traded to fulfill the Asian medicinal markets. This ruling has either by design or by a monumental miscalculation, like ivory or rhino horn, created a further market and building a demand, legal or illegal. And until that market, those markets are shut down, lion farms could well be springing up in much greater numbers or put pressure on already captive lions and further wild lions to meet the demand operating on the prevailing uh, South African Predator Breeders Association's principle that lions are just one more species of livestock and that their value lies only in their demise. To address this situation of too many lions with no place to go other than that on someone's wall or to be euthanized, my guest today is Andy Reeve. Andy founded Love Lions Alive. Please check out her website at lovelionsaliveproject.com and find her on Facebook. So, Andy, first I'd like to welcome you. Thank you for speaking with me today. Hi, Ellie. Thank you for speaking to me. Well, we, um, our team, our Wild Eyes team in South Africa, paid you a visit along with another one of our guests, Drew Abramson, and uh, we did a little film on you with your lions to highlight and complement this episode of Our Wild World of what it is you're doing and what it is you face. So today, we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of what it is to run a lion a captive lion sanctuary that is a rescue. So I guess my first question would be, how did you come to learn of the canned lion industry? I actually got involved in the 
with lions before I knew about the industry of canned hunting or body parts. Um, I met lions at a farm in the Free State quite by accident, purely because my friend's father had the farm and I went there to help my friend. And having arrived there and met the lions, I, I, I actually got to know the lions as individuals first. And then while I was there, hunters would start phoning and saying they were looking for this uh, dark-maned male or a female of this type for hunting. And I, I was so shocked, I had no idea. So I sort of, I learned about it on the ground while I was working, trying to look after and save those lions that were on that farm. And, and the same thing with the body parts. I had no idea the market existed until people actually approached me asking for body parts or asking for cubs to come and stay at their resorts or hotels. I learned about it on the ground. This surprises me because it seems to be so well known. We've been covering this Our Wild World, this, this subject, for several years. But what I'm finding out, to my surprise, is people like you that on the ground in South Africa don't know that this exists. So I'm going to segue here a minute. I do want to hear about your mission. How How is it possible that this is such a closed industry? How is it possible that South Africans, people like you, aren't aware of this? Well, my life prior to being involved with lions had nothing to do with wildlife or conservation or lions. And I, I suppose that's one of the reasons. But I also, even now that I'm here and I've been involved for the last five years, I, I'm still amazed all the time to find out that there's another lion farm around the corner. I, I, there are more and more lion farms around. And even though I'm in the lion world now, I, I'm still amazed that there, that I, nobody knows about these places um and and when i speak to people when they when they i have the opportunity i'm always amazed that they don't know south africans don't know that if you shouldn't go to cub petting places that they that lion parks are not sanctuaries and i'm constantly i sometimes i become so weary and tired of having to explain over and over to everybody that i meet that no it's not a good thing to have lions that Lion farms and lion uh, tourist facilities are not right. It really is something that South Africans don't seem to be very aware of. And, and the people who contact me and actually are supportive in any way are usually people from overseas and not South Africans. Well, that's good to know uh, in in a way so that you are – so they contact you because they know of your sanctuary or they're contacting you because they're trying to find a lion this, the, the overseas people will contact me because of my sanctuary. Okay. But when I've had, Go ahead. Yeah? Now, in South Africa, I've had people phoning me when I, before I set up my own lion sanctuary, when I was trying to rescue and save the lions at the, play, the farm that I'd originally gone to. I had people phoning, and they were phoning looking for lions. Sometimes people phone asking if, they, if we had any cubs, that they can they borrow the cubs, and they take the cubs to their tourist venue, and then so that guests get to see cubs and then when the cubs are a little bit bigger, they send the cubs back to the breeder and they'll ask for more, for, for younger cubs so that they can always have a, a little pretty cubs around as a tourist attraction. And I had no idea that that existed until people phoned me asking for cubs. Of course, my response was, you can't, <laughs> they, they, I know each line is an individual. To me, 
these there's no way that I would ever allow a cub out of my care to go to anybody else. That's that's really great to hear. I can imagine the shock and the surprise. And um, unfortunately, I think you're going to have your work cut out for you in the coming years until we get this canned lion uh, itch issue situation sorted. And hopefully that will happen at the next COP or in between with people like you and Kevin Richardson and Chris Mercer and uh, Ian Mickler bringing such attention to this globally that this is an, an industry that needs to stop. So let, let's back up a little bit. Tell us, so we sort of got the idea of why you started your project. So tell us about your mission. My mission is to give lions who have already been born in captivity the best chances of a good life. I, I'm about lifestyle for lions. So I want to create enclosures that are as close to nature as possible. There are, you know, I don't want, ever want to see a lion walking up and down against a fence in a rectangle of short grass, and which is what we do see here in South Africa at the lion farms. Um, so I build enclosures that have boulders and trees and natural water systems and places where the lions can basically hide and not necessarily be seen by people. I'm not a tourist facility, and I don't believe in having lions on exhibition for people to come and look at them. So I'm creating basically, a, it's an orphanage, it's a retirement home, it's a place of refuge for lions who have been bred in captivity somewhere else, in South Africa or elsewhere in the world, that they can come to me and live out the rest of their lives in dignity and peace and with the best conditions that I can possibly provide for them. So there's two stories I'd like to get into here. One, we covered with Drew, uh, with a lion called Natasha, uh, I think, that came from an underground breeding in France, then was shipped across uh, the border into Spain and lived a life in a circus. She was then rescued or removed from the circus and came to South Africa. And as far as I'm aware, she now lives her life as a wild, as closely as a as a free lion, free, and by that I mean able to make her own choices. And she's now at your sanctuary. How is she doing? She's doing very well. You know, when she first arrived, I had, had didn't have much hope for her standing up and feeling, you know, owning herself and being a confident lion because she was so dejected. She was small. She had no bone structure. It seemed she was like this puddle of a lion, and Within the first few days, she started standing up and stretching out and holding her shoulders up and her head up and watching her adapt, how quickly she adapted. And and another thing is I thought she would be so scared of humans because she's been badly treated before. But she comes towards me and she talks and she looks at me and she asks me for reassurance And uh, a big worry for me was that she would be alone, and I really wanted her to be with another lion, and I had a plan that she would live with my another female rescue of mine called Mela, who's the same age, but that didn't work out, and now she lives with two young males who were given to me by two two hunters, Sasha and Moya. And Sasha and Moya and Natasha love each other, they rub each other, they live together, and it's the most heartwarming thing. Every single day, I feel joy and happiness when I see those lions climbing up the boulders and giving each other the physical attention and love. Lions are social animals. They're gregarious, demonstrative, loving animals. 
And I worry when I get a lion into sanctuary that this lion doesn't know any other lions. And that is one of the big things for me is how to get them to bond with another lion and live out their lives naturally, but also with the companionship of other lions. And then being with other lions to not spend their time looking for human interaction, but to live in their enclosure. I'd like my enclosures to be bigger, but financially I'm, you know, I do what I can. And so that they would be living with their lion compatriots doing what lions do. Well, that's wonderful. And in the film clip that we have that our listeners can go see on Facebook and um, I'm sure on Andy's uh, Love Lions Alive project and also on the Wild Eyes Facebook page and Our Wild World. It's a wonderful video to see these three lions that she's just spoken of living together. So um, from other colleagues that I've worked with in in the rehabilitating, reintroducing, and hopefully rewilding lions, it is quite the deal to um, create a pride, to create a social group of lions. Like Andy said, they're individuals. They don't like every other lion. So Andy's giving them the opportunity to create friendships on their own. So tell us a little more. You alluded to it. These two other lions were from a hunting farm. Tell us that story. Yeah, I was phoned um, by a, a PH, which is a professional hunter in South Africa, saying he had some American hunters here and that they were they wanted to have a look at my lion's miller at my sanctuary. And I was dead set against that, not happy at all. But I was away. Um, I'd actually gone to, to Cape Town for the lion march. And uh, so these hunters came and had a look at my project and um, they didn't stay very long, but they saw what we were doing. And, then, and from there, the PH took them off to his breeding farm, where he offered them two cubs. for cub. They could buy these two cubs at cub prices. And he said it was a fabulous um, investment because they could come back and shoot them a year later. So they'd pay cub prices, he'd look after them, and then they could shoot them. And the, the, the hunter's response was that they weren't really here for lions. But the, the partner of one of the hunters said, you know, come on, let's buy them. Let's buy these two lions and give them to that sanctuary that we've just been to where lions are loved. Um, so I didn't have much notice at all. I just had to, I got these lions very quickly. They were petrified. They didn't come out from hiding for weeks. They didn't, we didn't see them. They hid behind boulders and in long grass. And uh, it was quite a, a decision of mine to eventually have them darted by a vet and move them up to Natasha and put them in her enclosure. And it's worked out fabulously. As you say, they get to choose themselves whether they get on. Natasha didn't bond with Mela, and she's bonded beautifully with Sasha and Moya. Now, this is a wonderful story. This is a su- success story. That without yes. your sanctuary, without this coincidence, serendipity, chance encounter of the hunters, your place, and then breeding lions, hopefully seeing the lions in sanctuary had an effect at least it might have had an effect on the one person who said, let's not let these lions get shot. Let's take them to the sanctuary. Did they also provide funding to to provide for the lion's life in perpetuity, their natural life to your found, to your organization? No, no, they did not. And in fact, none of the lions that have come to me for sanctuary have come with um, a, a, a dowry. 
yeah, Dahori. Now so, I look after them. So building of the enclosures and looking after them is up to Love Lions Alive to do. Um, and so I have had sponsorship for towards building enclosures, but not from any of the people who have sent lions to me. So this is part of the 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 issue that we're going to be facing as uh, over the next few years as we want to shut down uh, breeding farms uh, for trophy hunting and for the lion bone trade. And if they go into sanctuary, uh, the sanctuary needs money. People are willing to buy the cubs to give them to you. They're willing to pay a lot of money at a cub price even to come back a year later and shoot them. That alone boggles me that you've just bought a cub knowing that you're going to come back and shoot it someday. So I presume some of that cost of buying them, even at a deal, goes to keeping those lions alive for the pH or the breeder so that two lions are taken care of to grow. Okay, I've got those taken care of, move on to the next. So that's kind of a frightening scenario, but the harder part is raising money. So once again, folks, listen uh, to what Andy is saying. Check out her Facebook page. Please visit her website, Love Lions Alive, and donate because sanctuary does cost money. And to give lions a life as close to natural uh, in captivity for the rest of their lives requires food, veterinary care, space, and someone to look after them. So donate and uh, that you can do that through Alive dot, uh, dot com. Sorry. So please visit that. And meanwhile, we have to step away for a break, but we've got a lot more to talk about in terms of what Andy is doing and the lions in her care. So stick with us and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. Welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss, Our Wild World, and my guest, Andy Reeve, with the project Love Lions Alive. So during the first section of this program, we talked about how Andy started, that even uh, at her point in life, she did not know about the canned lion industry until she came face-to-face with it with a friend. And now she finds herself with lions and has created a sanctuary, Love Lions Alive, and you can find that at lovelionsaliveproject.com on the website and follow her on Facebook. So over the past several series and previously on this program, we have been talking about the canned lion industry. So at the end of our first section here, we talked about Andy has has brought some cubs in. And once again, we want to reiterate, this is not a tourist facility, and people do not get to interact with the lions, and there is no charge, so you can't go ask Andy to go play with the lions for a fee so you can watch. This is what we're trying to stop. Um, But in trying to stop it, lions are going to need sanctuary, and they're going to need people like Andy. So, Andy, you made a very good point about we don't want people buying cubs. Tell us a little more about that. Yes, absolutely. You know, I told you the story about the hunters buying the two cubs, Sasha and Moya, and giving them to me. I don't want people to misunderstand that and think that going and buying cubs and sending them to sanctuary is helping. We That would just be creating another market. In the breeders would be then selling to good people out there who feel that they're helping cubs. We, what we really need here is to stop the breeding. Nobody should be breeding any more cubs in captivity at all. There is absolutely no justification for it whatsoever. So for people who see cubs at a sanctuary or at a tourist facility, they need to ask questions. They need to be very aware of the conditions that those cubs are in and why are the cubs there. So, yes, I absolutely appreciate people funding, helping to support sanctuaries, but don't go and buy cubs in order to put them into sanctuary or to give them to someone like me. So the message would be for the visitors to these cub petting places or lion walking places um, to ask questions. And we've been pounding this point home on this series and through uh, our videos uh, that this market is a purely man-made industry to create, as Chris Mercer said, and as Andy has said, 
an alternative livestock. It's it's a it's a false economy because you cannot breed lions forever. They don't have a conservation value in captivity and we're running out of space to begin with to put lions not only in sanctuary but the difficulty in reintroducing and rewilding lions into spaces that are out there wildness so andy you brought up a good point in on your website and in the video that we have running with you that what is the wild and let's apply this in terms of the difference of what wild means in south africa where everything is pretty much fenced to let's say your neighbor above namibia botswana or over in east africa where there are no fences so let's I'd like to hear you give us a definition of the wild and how it doesn't apply to these lions. Yeah, from my perspective, where I sit in South Africa with lions, the wild is how big is their enclosure? How big is the area that's been fenced off for those lions to live inside? So, yes, in, in our neighboring countries, there are wild areas, um, but not in South Africa. And what the lions that I um, have anything to do with are all bred in captivity. And when we talk about putting, reintroducing them to the wild, or like my dream, my, my dream would be to have enough land that I could create an area that the lions that are living in captivity can live a life as if they were wild, which means that they've got enough space to wander around and to do what lions do, to form a pride. And if the space is big enough, they can hunt as well. Now, this is a, something that people will argue with me about, but... I believe that if captive lions have a big enough space and they have prey within that area, they will hunt. As long as there are no other uh, lions, you know, they're pride-specific and they're going to fight with one another. But if I took lions that I've known and they were in a big enough area, they could live a life that is as close to being wild as possible. So there but are... Yes, in South Africa... Go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. But in South Africa, we don't have lions that just wander around in the wild. They're either in game reserves or they are in in captive. They are in small areas and they're captive lions. So that brings up a question. Um, so we we will find relatively wild, and I'm going to say unmanaged. Un, they're not in human contact. They weren't raised uh, by people. They're they're naturally occurring lion prides on reserves, but that still implies management. And let's say these lions can hunt because the reserve they're on is large enough. So they will breed unless they've undergone contraception. So that's a question I'd like to, to find out. But eventually, if they breed, they're going to overbreed their carrying capacity of the land. So then what happens to these, let's just call them excess lions? Yeah, it's it's a huge conundrum for people in the conservation world to work out is what to do. There are, you know, we're always talking about the numbers of lions diminishing and there's so few lions left in the wild. But actually, there are too many lions in behind fences, whether it's a large area or small area. There are so many lions being bred and, and breeding on their own as prides and game reserves. I think that naturally in a in a proper ecosystem, they will take care of themselves in that younger males will come up, they'll rise in the ranks and they'll start challenging older males 
the same with females. There, there, there will be a natural selection and the way the lions would live if they were left to themselves in a large enough area. But as soon as one puts a fence around that area, then yes, human management is required. And then also, you know, in the game reserves, those lions are habituated to humans just in the fact that cars, safari vehicles come up, safari vehicles drive right up next to those lions. And they are, it's not the same as the, as the tourist industry and the captive bred in small places, but the lions still look at, they have humans wandering around next to them, cars driving up. It's so we're, we're, not we're, ideal. We're, yeah, we're creating a situation, and it's happening very much in South Africa, where it's not happening elsewhere in sub-Saharan Africa or lion ranges. Maybe a little bit in, let's say, Zimbabwe, Namibia. But on the whole, once you get out of South Africa, this this whole breeding thing uh stops and it and it really is about the wild so once again it comes back to your definition of what the wild is free-ranging living their own natural lives acting as they would unhabituated lions and that is the overall goal i'd say is our legacy um for this time and place on earth would we rather have wild spaces with wild life not managed um, uh, copies of what was wild um, yeah. you know it's not a Disneyland so listeners uh, I hope you're understanding the conundrum that Andy and I just brought up that if this captive breeding situation continues and even if there are enough people to like Andy to bring in these lions there still is no wild place for them to go so um, it is a conundrum, it is a catch-22, but nonetheless, it has to stop. So, um, Andy, um, what does it cost to keep your lions in good health? And um, or l- let's back up a second. Um, I'd, I'd seen in your website a whole point, and you made a big point. It's a section, Cub Ethics. Tell us what you mean by that. I mean, that, that people need to look at, when they see a lion cub, you need to see that cub with a, from an educated perspective and you should be looking at the cub and why is it there? Why does it exist? And how is that cub being treated? And that then, you know, obviously extends to older lions as well. But I'm, I'm very, I've got a big thing about this and how are animals looked after? If you take in an animal, you need to be able to give it the right food and the correct nutrition and the medical needs need to be taken care of. So my thing, when I talk about cub ethics, a place that has cubs should only have those cubs, well, they shouldn't have bred them. Nobody should be breeding lions. I say this again, nobody should breed another lion in captivity. But then you look at somewhere like Love Lions Alive Sanctuary and I have some cubs there. Why are the cubs there? Then you look at the ethics behind it. Those cubs have come in to me. They've been given to, given to me because the cub is dying or the cub's been taken in by, owned by someone who can't look after that cub and the cub is ill. I have one called Carl. He's five months old and he'd been beaten. He had a swollen head and face and he cried blood from his tear ducts for three weeks. And I thought that he was a brain-damaged lion when I first got him. So what I'm saying is people need to see, if they see a cub at a place, ask questions. Why is that cub there and how is that cub being looked after? 
should never be a group of cubs behind a fence and people are saying, oh, they're rescues or their mother didn't look after them. And, that, and then that, that even the applies. Other, I'm sorry, I was just going to step in here. That even applies to the older age yeah. group lions. So in these lion parks, people should be asking questions. Why are there so many lions of the same age all grouped together? Why are there just females? Why are there just young males? And then, you know, you go for this safari experience in a car into a an enclosed lion enclosure where, let's say, it's a natural-looking pride. There's a male, there's a female, there's some youngsters, and there's some cubs. And South Africa has, has been in the news a lot in terms of some of these lion parks where the tourists have been harmed and or killed. Um... It seems, and I think this is pertinent to what we're talking about, in that these lions are habituated to people. So even in these false, uh, unnatural situations, the lions equate the cars and the people to their previous history. The cubs interacted with people, and people gave them food. So it's not much of a leap for a curious, bored lion to say, oh, let's go play with this car. Oh, I could open it. And oh, there's people inside. Might be a toy. So it's a it's a setup for disaster, no matter which way you look at it, in terms of the lion breeding, cub petting, lion walking, lion park, safari camp. It's all a false sense of, I'm not, I can't even call it reality. So the naivete of people uh, going to these places and participating and spending money on this, you're creating a situation that has no end and no good outcome. So um, what is a lion's natural lifespan in captivity? The textbook, we can say that a lion could live up to 20 years. It depends how that lion has been fed and what conditions the lion lived in. In captivity, they tend, uh, no, I'm about to say in captivity, they tend to live longer, but they actually don't because their owners sell them off for hunting and for body parts when they reach sort of five, six years of age. But in captivity, in, in a zoo situation or in a sanctuary, lions can live up to sort of 20 years if they're well fed. But nutrition plays a huge part in this, and um, lions really struggle if they haven't been fed correctly. And what they need is meat. They need good, raw, real, live meat, and they need to hunt. Um, it's part of what a cat is. Anybody who has even their domestic cat will see um, they're called obligate carnivores. They must eat meat. So another point about these breeding farms is what the lions are being fed. Um, they're not being fed a good diet. They're being fed just enough so they can grow up to a point where they can be shipped back to a, a lion breeder or a professional hunting safari place to be shot, or as Chris Mercer calls it, bread for the bullet. So um, on this line, people uh, look for Blood Lions, the film, listen to our previous episodes, and understand this is something not only don't visit it, but actively support the campaigns to stop and ban canned hunting so once again um donate go to andy's uh project love lions alive project.com and uh donate because this is how we're going to take care of these lions in the meantime until this industry is stopped so what what does it cost you to feed these lions and what do you feed them 
I feed them a variety of carcasses. One of the big things is that they need to get the full carcass and not just meat. So lions in the wild would be eating intestines, brain, cartilage, bone. They have to eat the entire carcass. And that is one of the big mistakes that people, you know, breeders make, is that they don't, they want to divide the animal up so that the lions don't get the full carcass. Um, I'm very fortunate here in the area that I'm in. Farmers make contact with me if they've got an, they have an animal that needs to be put down. I get a variety of game, horses, um, and, I do, and I steer away from hormone for food. So chicken, battery chickens, um, beef, that feedlots, any animal that has been pumped with hormones, I steer away clear from those. I don't want to give those to my lions. And, you know, as far as cost goes, I can't give you an exact figure because I don't have that in my mind, but what it costs me is building the enclosures is around about 120,000 rand enclosure. Um, that is one and a half hectares size enclosure. I'd love to have bigger enclosures, but that's what I've managed to do so far. And then per carcass that I fetch, which we do about two or three a day, comes to around about 400 rand per carcass to fetch. I don't have to pay for the carcass from the farmers, but that's what it costs me in fuel and time and, and actually go fetch it. Um, I'm At the moment, in time, this time, I don't have vehicles. I borrow them from my partner. I don't have a cold room. I borrow that from a neighbor. So, you know, I'm still building up the sanctuary. I've been building the sanctuary for a year, and there are a lot of things that I'm still getting to. So this is a great point to just take a short break because some questions came to my mind that I would really like to pick up after the break. So stick with us. We're not done. And with my guest, Andy Reeve, Love Lions Alive Project. Look her up online and please donate. But stick with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to L.A. Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. guest Andy Reeve, Love Lions Live Project. This is Ellie Weiss and you're listening to Our Wild World. So if you've been staying tuned for a while and following our Facebook page, Wild Eyes Foundation and Our Wild World Talk Radio, you'll see a film with Andy at her sanctuary and with Carl, the lion she spoke of that was severely abused wherever it came from as being such a young little life as he was, and that he's doing much better now. So be sure to watch the video and follow along with this conversation. So, Andy, we ended uh, the previous section with providing lions with the proper diet. So in South Africa, we've already got a setup where it's enclosed. People are hunting. People pay to go trophy hunting on large reserves. Wildlife has to be managed and or culled a euphemism for killed, so that the land does not get overused um, and has the carrying capacity of the wildlife that it can hold. So, do any of these hunters and breeders donate or their clients' kills to you? The client wants the trophy, the horns, the skin. Sometimes they'll eat the meat or the meat will feed the staff. Do they ever give you the bits or a carcass? Not really. There's a, the, most of the carcasses will go to the meat market. It's, you know, the venison is used. And, and that's something that I actually do approve of, is that is the eating of venison more than beef because of the animals roaming the land. Cows are more, de- more detrimental to the ecosystem than, than buck are. But the buck that are shot by trophy hunters... The, the farmer who owns that animal will then sell off the meat as well. So he sold the animal to the hunter, the hunter takes the trophy, and then the meat is sold on to, to the meat market. So it's just a continuing money-making stream from cub petting to lion walking to killing the trophy of the lion to selling the meat. Do people eat lion meat in South Africa? No, not not lion meat. Okay, um, so there's in a South lot. Africa. I think that. Go ahead. In the situation with lions, the farm, the the hunter would buy the trophy. They they buy the shoot and the trophy, and then the body the, is then processed. Not the meat, but the bones and the fat are then processed and sold in the far east. But yeah, it's a continuous. They 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 don't stop. We getting every single bit of money out of the animal that can possibly be so, gotten out of that animal. So, 
so nowhere along this line, even with the other animals that are being auctioned off, sold off for trophy, there's no no place along this line of, let's say, some philanthropic altruistic for the other end of what this business is doing. A lot of lion cubs, um, excess lion cubs that are either going to get euthanized because they need more cubs because the lions are too old or they're sold off. And um, at no place are they giving back to the community that is trying to at least rescue, like you are, the cubs out of this industry. So it's 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 a sad state of affairs down there in South Africa. I'm sorry to say it's, you know, conservation has become utilization, consumption equals money. So where is the... Con- where is the conservation ethic? What do you think? I don't think that they that that's, conservation is the motivating factor. Money is the motivating factor, and then the, the ego is what brings in the you know, supply and demand. The demand is people's ego. They even when it comes to the lions and coming to visit lions, walking with lions, petting lions, going on a safari. Lines. It's about somebody's ego that they want to be part of this. They see something, they, they want a photograph of themselves being near a lion or sitting in a safari vehicle with a lion nearby. So the people that are on the ground here are making money, they, they've got this audience out there. The, the demand is supplying, feeding people's ego. This is a really sad, sorry state of affairs of where we are as a species, culturally, society, societal, that we want these kinds of whims fulfilled at the risk and at the the loss of not only wildness and wild places, but as to these animals as individuals. Even when you're looking at large landscape conservation and species survival la- conservation, this whole canned breeding industry doesn't fulfill any part. The money doesn't go in to, let's say, Kruger or into um, reserves. It all stays in a closed loop, and that's with the farmer and the meat market. So, And then also the carcasses of these lions are sold to the Asian market. So there are a lot of lions that are simply bred for the bullet, and then they go straight to the abattoir to, to get the bones, and then those are shipped out to uh, the Asian markets or those people who want lion bone. So um, we've talked about where the food comes from, where you get it, so, and, you know, that it does cost. So people, um, my listeners, please, I hope you're understanding the conundrum and the catch-22 that's being created here by the canned industry and that there are people like Andy who are trying to mitigate the in-between consequences to these lions while the rest of us, everybody, can take a stand and stop canned hunting. If there's no place to sell it and nobody to buy it, then it won't be bred, one can hope. So um, there's a great film called Blood Lions that will introduce you to the abuses and the cruelty of this system because the breeders and this goes down to the case of little Carl, are not interested in the lion's welfare. So what had happened 
to Carl. Did you ever find out what happened to that little lion that at that age he'd been beaten so severely? No, I never found out the facts, but I was when I was phoned and asked if I would take him, it was somebody had taken on the a cub thinking it would be great to have as a pet. And you know, which really is so wrong. And so this lady had taken him in and he as a pet and then she because he scratched and bit. Well, that's so, what they uh, what do. I'm, that is what <laughs> it is. They have it's claws, exactly they that. have teeth. I mean, even it's, if you have a kitten, that's what they do. It's just not as painful. It's, it's exactly what they do. And a small cub doesn't have the ability to retract his claws. You can't, you know, as they get older, they will try their hardest not to scratch a person. But when they're little, they scratch and they need, they need the little paws need, they would be doing that onto the mother to stimulate milk. And so, yes, this lady couldn't cope with Carl because he bit and he scratched. And I was somebody who spoke to her suggested, why don't you get hold of Andy Reeve? She can take this cub. Um, when I picked him up, I actually didn't know that he was a white lion because he was so dirty. He'd been lying in a box and he was so covered in his own feces and, and the blood because they'd already put him onto meat, even though he should have been in a bottle. Um, that I didn't even know he was a white lion until I got him home and I started washing him because he was so covered in dirt. And he was, he was all swollen and misshapen. My first opinion, my initial opinion of him was that he was brain damaged. And I thought, oh, well, he's just going to be my brain damaged lion and I'll treat him accordingly and I'll give him the best that I can for the rest of his life. It turned out he wasn't. He was concussed. Um, he had terrible you know, swelling and... Um, he had worms, he had all sorts of different... He, he was bad, he cared And you for. said he was crying tears of blood. So, yeah. once again, this tells people how, how wrong it is to have a lion cub as a pet. Obviously, the care that this woman had to take this in, lion in as a pet went terribly, terribly wrong, to the point that the only way she could deal with him was to beat him to abuse him to the point that uh, his little life was made miserable. So once again, we've got an end success, success story because Carl is now with Andy. But you can see where this is going. It can't continue. It takes money to even create sanctuary for the few lions that have the opportunity to get to a place like Andy's. So um, Andy, your your mission eventually when you can build up your sanctuary to its carrying capacity and perhaps build more, is to have volunteers come and pay for this experience. Tell us the difference between a volunteer paying for this experience at your sanctuary versus everything we're talking about where volunteers pay to um, continue this breeding thing. What would volunteers do at your sanctuary, and would they be interacting with lions? Well, firstly, volunteers who will come to me are already the right kind of people because they have done their homework and they have looked, they have researched where should they volunteer. We do not offer bottle feeding. You're not coming, no volunteer would be coming to me to come and take care of orphaned babies. Um, only my very long-term volunteers who have been that are with me for 12 months get to have anything to do with, the, with as these babies that I've got now that have come to me. But um, the volunteers are actually there to help build the sanctuary. So they do work. They help to build. They help to carry. They, they 
take rock from one place to the next and we make, to, you know, build walls. They dig holes. They, it's, it's manual work that they do. They give of their time and they give of their money in order to help build the sanctuary. And I, I don't... You know, I don't, as I've said before, I believe in, in the breeding of lions. So nobody comes to me going to then be involved with cubs. And we don't do walking with lions. I do not understand how any place manages to do walking with lions because lions will not just simply walk with strangers. Lions will not do anything with strangers. Um, they, I, I think it's a dangerous situation to put strangers together with lions. So no, no people who come to me as, for to volunteer, we'll end up working alongside of lions in that we are busy working on the enclosure, we've got to fix a water system, or we need to feed the lions. They are involved with the lions, but it's not an interaction. They don't touch and stroke and hug lions. Um, well, this is a really my- good model. So, listeners, if you're out there and you want to have an, a genuine experience and go to South Africa and really make a difference and help lions... Not pet them, not interact with them, not play with them, but actually create as natural an an environment as possible. Your money, by paying to work at Andes, is supplying your labor, your skills, and a lot of people have these skill sets to go and help create sanctuary for lions. So this is a really good opportunity for those of you looking to have an experience of Africa, boots on the ground, and get your hands dirty and make a difference. So um, Andy, how can people uh, on your website, they can contact you? Yes, and they can they can email us at um, lovelionsalive at gmail.com in and- order to get information and look at you, and I'm sure through your Facebook page, they could probably message you and find out more about what they're doing, what you're doing. Yes. Um, I've go ahead. Emailing, emailing me is a better option because I live on the side of a mountain. I'm with the lions, I'm in the felt, and I'm not really attending to uh, Facebook and, and messaging and things. And people get quite frustrated because it's difficult to get hold of me. But if you send an email to lovelinesalive at gmail.com, when I am in a place where there's internet, and I, and I can then look at all the emails that are there and respond. And also I've got a, a girl that's now helping me with it. And also, I'll just put it out there, you can contact Wild Eyes Foundation at uh, Wild B4U, that's W-I-L-D, capital B, the number four, the letter U, at wildeyes.com, and we will do our best to pass on your message to Andy and Love Lions Alive. So if you've tried to get a hold of Andy and you can't, give us a call. But also remember, this experience that you're going to have, if you go and uh pay to volunteer and help Andy build this sanctuary to care for these lions that are greatly in need of a better life, one filled with dignity, and live as naturally a wild life as possible under the conditions. You will be off the grid. You will be working hard. You will get to see what it's like to live and be in Africa and make a difference, not only to Andy, but to a lot of lions. Andy, how many lions do you have right now? At Love Lions Alive Sanctuary, I have nine lions. That's a lot of lions. That's a lot of food. Uh, that's a lot of work. So it's just you and uh, one helper at this point? 
Yeah, I have some volunteers. I have two Norwegian volunteers who've actually moved out here for 12 months to come and help me. They are fab- fabulous. And, and I employ two, two guys who work with me. This is this is a fabulous uh, outcome, folks. If you want an incredible experience and want to do something different with your life and make an impact on the life of nine lions that will be incredibly appreciative, although they may not show it like your cat or your dog does, you will have made a difference for the future of these lions while we get this whole lion breeding, industrialized, alternative livestock uh, utilization concept under some wraps and hopefully eventually get it stopped. Unfortunately, Andy, uh, we're out of time today. Do you uh, have a a last little uh, bit that you'd like our listeners to be aware of? Um, Just this, that we need to... What we need to be doing as humans on this planet is dedicating land, getting land, and land is then given to animals. And in my situation, lions. But finding the land, buying land, and giving that land to lions so that they can live in safety. That's a really good point. Is there land available around your sanctuary to be purchased, rented, or uh, to be able to expand your project? I only I rent the land that I'm on because I didn't manage to I, I didn't have any I didn't have enough money to buy it although it was on offer for me and there is more land around but my sanctuary and other places the big thing is that we commit land to the animals and that land is then the whole ecosystem from every single little insect and stone grass flower that is on there we need to be committing land to animals and back to nature and I think that's the starting point it's an excellent starting point and it's an excellent point so if our listeners are out there and you've got some uh, ideas of investing into Africa and wanting to do something uh, create some sort of an enterprise well here is the perfect opportunity Um, I'm sure if the opportunity okay I'm not sure I would guess that if the opportunity arose that someone had land or was interested in purchasing a good proportion of land these lions and love lions alive could possibly move and create a much bigger space to take in enough lions that is practical um, to uh, live out their lives in a space. And as, as Andy said, keeping land open for wild ni- wildness is critical. Even if it's going to be fenced, as it is in South Africa, the larger the space of land, the better the wildlife will be and the more natural the experience will be for the wildlife and for the visitors who come to participate and help. So unfortunately, we are out of time. Andy, thank you so much. We've learned a lot from you today. Thank you, Eddie. And uh, visitors, please visit our Facebook page, uh, Wild Eyes Foundation, and you'll see the clip with Andy. And she has a lot to tell us in that clip. There's another clip with Drew Abramson at Andy's Sanctuary, Love Lions Alive. Visit lovelionsaliveproject.com, her Facebook page, our Wild World Facebook page, and Wild Eyes Facebook page. And above all, please help. So thank you. That's it for today. I'm Ellie Weiss, my guest Andy Reeve, and this is Our Wild World. 
Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 